chapter 1 verse 12 and I think I got some bad news and good news this morning in this text first the bad news we'll talk about persecution and suffering and what to do in light of that but then the good news is what we receive at the end authorship of James there's four Jameses mentioned in the New Testament there's James the son of Zebedee and brother of John some scholars believe he was the one that wrote it but that's quite impossible since he was martyred under Herod Agrippa the first which was well before the writing of this epistle a second James that is mentioned is James of Alphaeus now this James the Roman Catholics believe wrote this book because he was the cousin of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and not the half-brother so therefore it would maintain that uh, Mary remained a virgin and that she did not have any children so most conservative scholars like myself believe that this is also impossible because James of Alphaeus uh, he was not prominent and therefore should not be considered a third consideration is James the father of Judas not Judas Iscariot but this James had little influence if any in the New Testament so that leaves us with the fourth James and that is James the half-brother of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and I believe that he is the author of this short epistle and so just want to give you a background there the date of writing James was martyred in 62 AD according to Josephus so if he was martyred in 62 it would have had to have been before that event we, we know that because Josephus was a first century historian secondly there's no mention of the Jerusalem Council in 49 AD which James was heavily involved in so think about it this way uh, if I were to write an article on baseball one would assume that I'm going to say something about the Atlanta Braves right <laughs> I mean it would if I were if I wrote a, a baseball article and didn't put the Braves in it then that's that would be highly un, un, unlikely it would be highly unlikely knowing that James was involved in the council in 49 AD for him not to mention something in this letter about the council because he was one of the big uh, people in, involved in that council so if you take those two facts into consideration you have 62 AD and you have 49 AD so it would have to have been written before 49 AD so I think this was probably somewhere 45 to 48 AD making it one of the earliest manuscripts in the New Testament so in other words, even though James chronologically looks towards the end, it is actually towards the beginning. So you could say it this way. Uh, there's so much evidence. There's external evidence that points to the fact that this was written probably well before 49 AD, before James even became involved in the Jerusalem Council. So making it one of the first ones. The recipients, clearly this was written to the Jewish audience. In 1 1 he addresses the 12 tribes scattered among the nations of the dispersion and so it has a Jewish element to it much like uh, Hebrews where the writer of Hebrews is trying to lead uh, the Jews away from 
uh, law and the Mosaic law and pushing them towards Christ. The, it's, when you read the epistle of, of James, you can't help but notice there's an Old Testament flavor to it. And so we know that this is a strictly Jewish book. In, in, in the, this short epistle, he mentions first fruit, synagogue, ancestor of Abraham, fallen spring rings, etc., etc. He goes on. So there's no doubt that this is a Jewish audience. It doesn't mean that it wasn't read by Gentiles, but his primary target was the Jewish nation. Isn't it ironic that he writes this entire first chapter mostly about persecution and trials? The nation of Israel is still undergoing persecution and trials as a nation. And so we see 2,000 years later, we have the same issue with the Jews of his day, of James' day, that they encountered trials and persecution and hardships. Now, the purpose of, the, of this epistle, and it just depends on who you ask, but what I've boiled it down to is this. James, his purpose was simply this. Let their lives reflect what their lips are saying. In James 1.22, we read this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what the word says. So in other words, James is saying, I want you to what you say, I want it to match what you do. In spite of everything that is coming against them, all these trials, hardships, and problems, he wants them to live what they believe. And that's a good call for us today, to live what we believe and not compromise the truth and not, not uh, surrender the truth in a, in a culture that is constantly pushing against what we know to be true in the scripture. So what do we learn from James? First of all, we learn to persevere under trials. You can write that down, persevere under trials, 112. And he starts here very simply, blessed is the man. Markarios, Markarios, the word blessed, and that's an Old Testament term too. I mean, it appears in the New Testament, but you see it a lot, particularly in the Psalms. Blessed is the man, blessed is the woman over and over again and and it means to be happy now listen to this it does mean to be happy that's at the surface level but underneath it means to be happy because you are in a favorable circumstance <laughs> now wait a minute pastor mike you just got through saying that these people were under trials under persecution under hardship how in the world can you be happy in that well, the issue here is not the trial. And by the way, when we talk about this next here shortly, it's not the trial. It is our response to the trial. The, the fact is this word blessed refers to somebody that is under the dominion of God, that is under his authority, under his rulership. And therefore, because you're under that position, you can have joy. You, you can be happy in spite of anything that goes against you. That word reflects a right standing with God. You don't give the blessed to the unblessed or to the unsaved. And although God would want them to be saved, uh, it doesn't apply to them. Blessed is the believer. That's you. That's me. We are blessed in Christ. 
Ephesians says he has blessed us in the heavenly realms and it just flows down to us Ephesians chapter 1 so what we can do in the midst of trials in in the midst of trials is that we can praise God we we, we can praise God even though things are difficult even though things are hard we know that because of our position with God much like I'm under this canopy this morning the Christian is under the canopy of God under his grace that never changes that never goes away and therefore no matter what comes against us we are able to stand because we have a divine favored position you know grace means divine favor that's what you have. That's what I have this, this morning. Let me give you another one. Titus 3, 4, and 6. But when the kindness and love of God, that's our God, appeared, Jesus Christ appeared, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. You think about this. Kindness, love, mercy, saved. And then he goes on to write, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's your position this morning. If you are in Christ, you are blessed. You are abundantly blessed. And, and I know James writes, blessed is the man. Uh, in, in, in Greek, you have feminine, you have masculine, and you have neutral. This is neutral here. It refers to blessed is the person. It applies to any believer. It's not just the man here. There are places when the, in Scripture where it is masculine, and, and you take it in the sense of man. But here, it is person. That applies to you and me. We're happy because of the position that we have in Christ. Therefore, it becomes, it becomes literally a firewall against anything that, that comes against us. We can still be happy. Now, we move from attitude to action. Notice here, blessed is the man. He doesn't stop there. Blessed is the person who remains steadfast. Remain steadfast is one word in the Greek. It's hupomeno. I love that word, hupomeno. Uh, to continue despite resistance. So here is, here's, here's what James is, is doing. He's saying, let's look at your position first. It is secure in, in Christ. You have a favorable position. But now our action is to stand fast or to continue in the midst of persecution and hardship. And by the way, if we use James' own words, he talks about trials here. Go up to verse 2. You read this, consider it all joy, my brethren. That's the, that's the condition, blessed is the man. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Various trials mean multi, uh, multifunctional trials. Trials that come from different realms. Physical trials, spiritual trials. All kinds of trials that, that, that come against us. He, note, he notes here, count it all joy. Why? Because we have the position. When you have the position, you have protection. So he says, count it all joy, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. We used to have a saying in the army, no pain, no gain. 
So if you're going through trials and hardships this morning, and it may not it may not be that your life is being threatened, but that you are going through a difficulty right now, I want to remind you of your position so that you know that you're blessed and that you can stand and go, okay, God's favor rests on me. I don't know how this is going to work out, how it's going to play out, but I'm going to let God do what God does. And that's the best place to do it. Because when we worry and worry and worry about stuff, all of us have failed, right? Every, every, every hand out here should go up. We've all failed. We've all been. You could say, well, I've been there and done that. I've done it. Situation comes in. The first thing I do is I forget my position. I forget that I'm blessed. And then I immediately run into the panic mode. Let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Of course, he goes on and talks about wisdom in the midst of that. But this really, these first 12 verses, it's all about trials. We're, we're looking at one section of it. One section of the trial, which happens to be the apex where he puts it all together. Kurt Richardson in his commentary notes this. God wishes to use trials to produce believers who stand their ground through a devout life shaped by the word of God. Let me read that again. God wishes to use trials to produce believers who stand their ground through a devout life shaped by the word of God. That is absolutely true. James 1.22 be not only hearers but doers of the word trials come along trials come into our lives for a reason i'm going to hold it there for a second and we'll talk about that in just a minute now what about the trial blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial perosmos perosmos and that word means to learn the true nature of something or to test or to examine. Here's what you need to remember. The trial is simply a test. The hardship is a test. It's not that the, that the trial is going to change. And I know I've done it, you've done it, we've all prayed for a situation to change. And sometimes it does change, sometimes it doesn't. But the fact is, the trial is not the issue. The trial is you and me. The test is inward. Uh, for those of you that are have your smartphones and you're looking at the PowerPoint, I've got a girl with her head down and she's taking a test. I've sat through a few classes in my life and had to prepare for all kinds of different tests I don't like it because you have to study you have to read the material you have to do all this stuff and then the day of the test you're kind of nervous what's the professor gonna ask I hope he asked on this because I really studied it and and then you get the test then you look at the questions and depending on how well you studied will determine on how well you did it is not the test it is what you do with the test when I turn papers in, sometimes I got an A, sometimes I got a B, sometimes I got a C. The C was a reflection on my ability to study. 
I want you to understand this this morning what James is saying here is masterful and it changes the dimension of how we encounter trials the trial is not something uh, and we do know from Jesus the bad stuff happens to the save and the unsaved the just and the and the unjust um, the, it, the trial is not the issue it's you and me what are we going to pass the test are we going to look genuine as genuine believers are we going to pass the test not this don't ask what is the purpose of the trial but what the trial reveals in me don't ask what is the reason this is happening ask what is my response to it that's a huge shift isn't it when 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 a trial comes you go wow why is that happening and, and it could be could be but most of the time it is this it's not the trial it is my response to the trial because I am being tested this is a test so if you can look at trials that way when things come into your life you start looking at the trial and you go you know what I'm being tested but you know what I'm blessed I'm gonna stay in that divine favor with God and you know what I'm going to trust God with this so the next time something comes against you and it's uncomfortable remember that you are being tested Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Now, we've been talking a lot about the first part of this verse. The second part gives us the reason why we persevere under trial. James compacts it into one verse. And here he mentions, for our reward is promised. So we persevere under trials because, the word for there points directionally to uh, explaining what he just said. So here you have, we persevere under trials, but the, but the benefit of that is that there is a reward for it. Notice what James writes in 12b. For when he has stood the test, James uses the word here, flat out straight out that that trial is a test you get it now watch this for when he has stood the test dokimos dokimos almost sounds like donkey but it's dokimos to be genuine as a result of testing stood the test dokimos to be genuine as a result of testing So, these trials come into our lives. We stand firm because we are blessed by God. We have that divine favor. And when we pass that test, God's able to see what's really in our hearts. I tend to think that, I tend to think that if we flunk one test, God continues to test us in that area until we pass. I remember years ago when I took my, this was years, years ago, I was 16 and I was taking my driver's test. 
thank God for grace. The first time, I didn't pass it. So I had to go back a second time. And I didn't pass it. I had to go back a third time, and I finally passed it. The fact is, if there's a trial and you go, wow, this seems to always, this, this type of trial seems to keep coming up. Well, it could be that you're, you're not passing the test. So God continues to allow these things to come in our lives, not, not just by happen chance and that, and that uh, this is just random luck that these trials are coming. No, if we believe that God is in control of our lives, then he is also in control of the trials that come against us. Amen. I, there's nothing that can come against us that God hasn't allowed. That's in scripture too. But here he says, For when he has stood the test, to be genuine as a result of testing, God wants us perfect, lacking nothing. I, I wrote this. I'm going to have to explain it. But I wrote this. Salvation is really the process of becoming comfortable in our salvation. Think. I want you to think about that. When, when, when trials come, I've heard people say this, and it's, it's because they, they don't know any better. So when, when, when these trials come into their lives, they go, wow, I must not be saved because all of this stuff is happening to me. Why does it happen to me? Because God wants you to grow up. You're not supposed to stay. And really, the base here, and I've heard this a lot too, the, the, the base is... Well, if this stuff's happening to me, then I must not be saved. No, you're saved. This is the result of your salvation. So as you are growing in your salvation, you are becoming more comfortable with the fact that God is in control of your life. So when I said salvation is really the process of becoming, uh, sanctification is really the process of becoming comfortable in your salvation, I'm not talking about sitting and never doing anything. I'm talking about allowing God to have his perfect work in your life. And as these trials come, you, you will notice. There's, there's trials that are in my life that they come and I go, well, I already know how to respond to that one. Why? Because somewhere down the road, I pass that test. It's the new ones on the horizon that give me a little pause. So I don't know what trial you're in today, but I'm going to tell you, you are blessed and all you got to do is stand there and... Because it really is our response to the trial, not the trial itself. Let's, let's get the trial out of the way. It's really talking about you and me. And how we respond to the trials. Another example. 1 Peter 1.7 says this. I love these verses. That the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that perishes. This fits very well with what James just said. Though it is tested by fire may be found to the praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me explain that. Back in the day, in Peter's day, James' day, they had goldsmiths, and they would have these big uh, barrel-looking things, and they would put gold in there, and then they would put that gold in a furnace. They would heat it to an immense temperature so that that gold begins to melt. As that gold melts, what is impure starts rising to the top. He takes it, the goldsmith takes it out of the furnace, and he sees the dross coming up to the top. And what he does at that point is he scoops the impurity out of the gold 
so that what is left is pure gold. That applies to you. That applies to me. These tests, these trials come to produce in us, to get rid of the dross in our lives. And what dross are we talking about? Sometimes it's sin. Most of the time, it's lack of faith in God and his ability to handle any situation that comes against us. Isn't that right? You know it's right. I know it's right. Mostly, what God needs to get rid of is my lack of faith in him to handle this trial because I see it and I go wow that is a massive storm by the way we had a massive storm the other day it it was off to the side over here and it dark, dark clouds and you could see it rolling in that's what happened so the bigger the trials listen to this the bigger the trials the more you are beco becoming comfortable in your salvation because if if God is allowing bigger trials that means you're big enough to handle it and to respond appropriately. Once he has stood the test. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test. Here's the good news. And I think that, I think that first part was good news too. Because I, I really did want to change your perspective. On trials. And to get you back to a faith position. And to remind you this morning that you're blessed by God. You're blessed by the blood of Christ. So nothing can come against you. It's not ultimately going to hurt you. It's going to help you. It's going to make you stronger. But the result of this. The result of this constant testing. Is that we receive a reward. For he will receive the crown of life. Lombano. That may not mean anything to you, but the word receive, lombano, means to take possession of something. I stopped here the other day when I was studying this. And I thought, you know what? The whole Christian life, the whole Christian life, is a life of receiving. Did you know that? You have received Christ as your Lord and Savior. That was a gift. You have received blessings from God. I bet you, if after this sermon I walked out here and talked to you, you could name numerous blessings. That's receiving. What we are is takers. We take from God. He has given us so much. How many of you are starving today? I didn't see one hand go up. How many of you have been taken care of by God? Mm-hmm. Yep. We're receivers. We're like, a, like on a football field. The quarterback drops back. He spots, looks for his receiver, and he throws the ball, and the receiver's up there catching it. We are receivers. James says he will receive. This is what's waiting for us. You can count on this. We will receive the crown. The crown is a prize. Stephanos is the crown. I love what Douglas Moo 
said in his commentary, he's one of my favorite theologians. He said this, the word crown conveys to most of us a gemstone headpiece worn by kings and queens. But people in the Greco-Roman world or the Greece-Roman world would probably have thought more often of the laurel wreath given to victors, listen to this, given to victors in an athletic contest. God gives the crown to his faithful servants. See, the whole, the whole process, we're saved. This is, this is the way I to summarize, summarize salvation. We were saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. Because nowhere can you divorce salvation from that moment that you trusted in Christ. So we were saved at one point in the past. Today, you are being saved. That's being comfortable with your salvation. Comfortable in your salvation means to trust God and let the trials work in your life to produce whatever it is that God wants to produce in you. And then we will be saved is the day that we see Jesus Christ face to face and we will get this crown. For those of you, again, that have your smartphones and tablets, it's just a simple wreath. It's just a simple wreath. The laurel wreath is just a simple wreath that goes around the head. But it was important in the day that James wrote this. It was a symbol of status. You've already been crowned. You're just waiting for the coronation when you see Jesus face to face. Those of you that have trusted in, in Christ, you will win. You will be rewarded. For your work. And then he goes on to say, You will receive the crown of life, Zeo. And the word Zeo means eternal life. So, you go through this life, trials come, you grow in your understanding, and then because, even though you die, you live because you have received the crown of life. That's going to be a joyous time. You will never die. We may die physically, yes. But we will never die spiritually. That's why when somebody passes away that was a believer, we can rejoice, even though on this side of the fence it hurts. But we can rejoice because we know that we have eternal life. Which, James says, I know I've packed a lot in here in 30 minutes, but which God has promised. Has, let me ask you a question. Has God ever broken his promises? The answer should be no. That, that would be one way to pass the test. The answer is no. Epongelomai. Epongelomai means to announce with certainty that someone will do something. This is God's promise to us. That he is going to give us a crown as we continue to grow day by day by day by day, growing more comfortable in that event that happened to me October 12, 1981. That I grow closer and closer and closer to him and God says he will give me a crown. He will give you a crown. To those who love him. Agapao. You ready for this one? It means to love and admire somebody. Let me just ask you a question this morning. Yes, I'm hot too. Um, it's hotter under this tent than you think it is. <laughs> if it's 72 out there, it's 85 under here. <laughs> um, let me ask you a question this morning. Do you love Jesus? 
If you love Jesus, you can say to yourself, blessed am I. Blessed am I because I am his. Let me ask you a couple questions or one specific question as we wind this down. How do you respond to trials and tests? Do you freak out? Sometimes we do. Let's, let's be clear and let's be honest. Sometimes we freak out. So if I could summarize this in very plain language, at least for me, the less I freak out, the more I am growing when a trial comes along. That's really the key, brothers and sisters. It's how you respond to the trial. The goal is to get better at our responses in the trial. When that trial comes, you go, okay, you know what? I see it. I know it's there. God knows it. I'm just going to stay steadfast. You begin to grow because then you're trusting God, not trusting yourself. I mean, it usually doesn't go well when you try to do it yourself. So it's better just to trust him. It's okay. This is a test. I'm going to trust God and not be overwhelmed by it. How many of you are in a test or a trial today? This is what I want you to do this week. I want you to forget about looking at that trial. And I want you to look at what, what God is trying to produce in you. The test is never about the trial. The test is about you. And then... Spend the rest of your life here in this earth trying to pass the tests that come along. And when it's over, you'll receive the crown of life. That's what I have for our church this morning. I pray that that 